1: What's up and welcome to Serious Issues, a weekly comic book podcast brought to you by King's Comics in Sydney. My name is Levins, my co-host name is Siobhan. Hello. Very good. And every week we read a rapidly increasing list of comic book issues and let you know which of the issues that are worth your time.
0: And you can find every comic that we talk about on the show at King's Comics, 310 Pitt Street, Sydney, or online at kingscomics.com.
1: Uh, in fact, we should tell you that this week we're actually recording for the first time in the King's Comics break room. It's a very... I'm honoured to be in here. Can um, you feel it? Can you feel
0: the years <laughs> of comic book history?
1: And, and half-eaten half packets of mint slices.
0: It's very important for morale. Uh,
1: this week in comics, we saw the launch of yet another Harley Quinn comic. We found out why C-3PO has a red arm now. And Siobhan read Chester Brown's latest musings on prostitution.
0: He has so many thoughts about it.
1: <laughs> I can't wait to hear them. Uh, let's kick off this episode as we do every week by reviewing all the new number one issues in our opening segment. First things first, my favorite number one this week. I think it was, a, it, was a, it was a joint favorite.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we are in agreement on this one.
1: This is uh, the new, it's a new miniseries out through Boom, through their Boom Box imprint. Uh, written by Hope Larson and Brittany Williams with colors by Sarah Stern. Um, Goldie Vance. It's a teen mystery series.
0: Which is right up my alley. <laughs> it's um so it's a very very cute series set in a um, hotel, and Goldie Vance, the lead, the eponymous whatever lady, um <laughs> <laughs> works works as a valet in the hotel, but also helps out the in-house detective solving mysteries. Um, and it was just what a, what a lovely book to read. It felt yeah. really sort of. In the same vein as *Harriet the Spy* and those kind of really um, sassy teen heroines, um, and
1: it was just yeah, yeah it was just really lovely. really sweet and uh, yeah, really funny. The art's excellent. Art looks like a you know like a, like a Disney cartoon in, in yeah, the afternoons when I grew up.
0: Really beautiful.
1: And uh, the story, like you know, obviously it's it, it's all about young characters, so the dialogue isn't particularly overdeveloped or anything like that. Mm. But it felt very you know true, and and it just it's a great interesting pace the whole way through. I feel like this is going to be like, if you want to get someone, you know, that's, you know, a a young person that that you're close to a young cousin or a, Mm -hmm. or a a brother-in-law into comics, um, or more more importantly, a sister-in-law This is a great comic to get young girls into comics, um, which boomer really, really kicking ass at at Mm. the moment. Um, I feel like at the end of the year, this is just going to be like a no brainer trade to pick up for anyone young or old i mean it's a kind of timeless timeless really fun comic
0: absolutely and it's so nice um it's just a four issue mini series so that's a nice one to collect in single or it'll be like a lovely little short story and trade it's nice to get something self-contained like that
1: and uh like all good mystery stories they they're they start off with one but sooner or later this will be like i'm sure a massive franchise and we'll get a mini series visiting goldie vance's world pretty regularly yeah let's hope so yeah everyone go buy this it's very good yeah really good That's a good number one. Let's go from good to maybe the dumbest comic I've read since we started (laughs) doing this podcast, which hasn't been much time, but I assure you this is an exceedingly stupid pop pop comic. Uh, Harley Quinn now has her third regular monthly series.
0: Yeah, she's gone full Deadpool.
1: (laughs) And uh, this one is called Harley Quinn and Her Gang of Harleys. And this comic features, or like it kind of focuses on, uh, a somewhat racist collective of people that dress <laughs> like Harley Quinn. Um, like, I don't know, is it is it okay to have an Indian character with a Bollywood reference? As in, like, so the the Indian character who dresses like Harley Quinn is called Bolly Quinn. Yeah. And then the, the black character is Harlem, Harley. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, like, if, if it's not racist, it's just very lazy.
0: Yeah, it's not subtle and it's sort of racial. Um, like, it, it is a bit... Strange that each character is sort of themed around their race.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and then it, like, it, within this, it then, you know, tries to me- poke fun at hipsters by there being a hipster mafia. But it's, it reads like, like a 60 year old right wing writing what yeah. they think a hipster is yeah. for better homes and gardens.
0: It's very. <laughs> so this is written by Jimmy Palmiotti. Oh, actually. With Frank Thierry. With Frank Thierry. There we go. Okay. Because I, I have, um,. You know, I think that Palmiotti is definitely a better writer when he's working with Amanda Connor, personally. Lately, for sure. Um, Um, But, I
1: mean, he definitely has, like, a long history working on great great runs on DC, especially, like, his um, Jonah Hex run is just a classic. Um, And he's done lots and lots of great stuff. But, I mean, lately they've been kind of put in charge. Jimmy and Amanda Connor have been put in charge of Harley Quinn, and Mm -hmm. obviously that's been one of DC's biggest successes from the last few years, so they're just going to keep stretching it. I hope this book, like, sells no issues and yeah same
0: i really hope it i hope it falls apart because it just was it was a really lame story about like gang the gang together and as you said fighting a hipster mafia which yeah it was just very just very cringy very embarrassing all the sort of things that you expect like harley is tied up and got massive boobs and they're all out and like <laughs> yeah just just no good just a very it's a very very lazy comic
2: I think.
1: Yeah. And like lazy to the point, like it certainly isn't lazily like written when it comes to text because there is way too much dialogue. Mm. Like it's one of those ones that just gets exhausting to read.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. I thought we should move from this. Yeah. Don't don't get this. And, I, and, I, and, I, <laughs> and it's and it really bums me out because it's the only DC comic we're talking about this week because obviously yeah. it's, it's a terrible time to start a podcast um, in regards to DC at the moment because DC are obviously wrapping up all these uh, franchises that we didn't, you know, kind of gave up on 10, mm. ten, ten issues in. Um, so you know, us, us, us reading. The fiftieth issue of a of a run that we've only read the first ten issues of, if that isn't really doing anyone a favor, it's so, just asking awesome. like, what the fuck happened in this issue? <laughs> um, so you know we, there isn't going to be that much DC content until Rebirth happens, which is very soon. But we, yeah. we'll make up for lost time by reading every single number one they put out, absolutely. And hopefully we get you know fifty new DC comics that we read every month.
0: Yeah, that'd be lovely.
1: Um, I miss you, DC. Yeah. Um, so we talk move on from uh, Harley Quinn and her gang of Harleys. Um, to a comic that I thought I was going to hate for sure. Mm. Um, this is Gwenpool, the unbelievable Gwenpool, number one. Um, an in-joke that I don't know where it started, but I know she popped up in the Howard the Duck series yeah. after Secret Wars this year. Um, Gwenpool is... What is she? A combination of Gwen Stacy and Deadpool.
0: Yeah, so I think it was kind of riffing on the like, uh, now Gwen um, Spider Gwen is like a main character in the sort of mainstream Marvel universe. And everyone sort of thought that was a little bit too much bringing, like, popular sort of alternate universe characters into the main universe. So I think that this is kind of playing around with that idea and also playing around with the fact that there was this time when there were so many, so many Deadpools. Like, there was the Deadpool core. And there was Lady Deadpool and Dead Deadpool and <laughs> Dog Deadpool or something. <laughs>
1: He's a very popular character. Um, Who doesn't love Deadpool? So Gwenpool, and apparently this sold really, really well, this comic has gone gangbusters. Oh, really? Um, Deadpool, of course, one of his most famous things is Breaking the Fourth Wall this goes beyond the fourth wall because the the character of De- of Gwenpool is a is a is a someone from our world yeah. who has decided to enter the Marvel universe as a comic book character and is very aware that she's a comic book character in this world and that there are no you know I guess she kind of acts as if there's no
0: she definitely acts as if there's no death and no consequences Absolutely, to Absolutely, no consequences. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, to read... Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I thought this was, like, very goofy, but it was actually pretty fun.
0: Yeah, it actually was really fun. I was fully prepared to reject this just totally offhand. It's not the sort of thing that I would normally pick up a first issue of. But I actually really enjoyed it. The art was really lovely, really funny. I like that she's, like, all cute and dressed in pink.
1: Yeah, um, pink is great a great colour to see in a comic yeah. book. So this is written by Christopher Hastings. And uh, the art and the main part of the story was written by Guru Hiru, who writes the Avatar series, I think, for Dark Horse. Oh. Who draws, sorry, draws oh. the Avatar stuff.
0: You know, I thought it looked very, like, cute in anime.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the prologue was written. I actually preferred the prologue art by Danilo, Danilo Um mm. Real good.
0: And Christopher Hastings, you might know from Dr. McNinja, I believe. So right. it's that sort of quite um, goofy internet. sense of humour but but really fun
1: Marvel have definitely like really benefited off using those you know internet funny comic writers to great uh, to great effect in there you know obviously with you know I mean that's Chip Zdarsky's background and he's Mm -hmm. doing Howard the Duck Um,
0: Ryan North from Dinosaur Comics on um, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl
1: yeah Um, hopefully we see uh, your favourite webcomic writer come uh, collection writer um, Kate Beaton. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, she's actually she did a couple of issues um, for this thing that Marvel did a few years ago called Strange Tales. Yeah, where great. it was yes, yeah, so so funny. If you find that in trade, I definitely recommend picking it up because it's little indie comics writers doing funny short stories using the Marvel heroes, and the Kate Beaton ones are very very funny.
1: Yeah, like I, I love these these kind of books. I mean, they, they, obviously the stakes aren't as high as your regular Marvel fare, but mm. it definitely kind of while being really funny, it also kind of plays by the rules of what a superhero comic should be. And, Mm. you know, everything ends on a cliffhanger really well. And yeah, I I don't think I'm not going to be like, you know, super excited to read this, you know, it won't be at the top of my stack every time it comes out, but I'm definitely going to stick with Gwenpool, which is a a crazy feat that I thought would never be possible. (laughs) So well done to Gwenpool.
0: Absolutely. Um, So next, do we want to talk about um, a very exciting issue, Moon Knight number one. And, um, Reynaldo, actually asked us to review this on our Facebook page. So yeah. thanks for that. I, know, it, it, I was going to read it anyway. That's so. very true.
1: Yeah. I, I, I look forward to reading a completely different rendition of Moon Knight once a year. Yeah. Yeah. not fun? As Marvel fun? try their hardest to, uh, to make this one stick.
0: But um, I kind of like, like getting like a totally different version of Moon Knight every year because it kind of works with the character, you know?
1: So this Moon Knight, uh, as depicted by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood on art. Um, with
0: lovely um, lovely colours by Geordie Blair.
1: As always. Um this Moon Knight is just—I mean, obviously—a big part of Moon Knight's character is that he is potentially insane. Yep. he has, uh, they, in the past they used to just have split personality disorder, but then in the um, in more recent comics they they really took that as far as they could go. Um, Bendis wrote this wild twelve-issue um run of Moon Knight where he actually thought he was. Wolverine, Captain America and Spider-Man.
0: Oh, I think I read that. that yeah, was it was actually pretty, it was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah it was really yeah. fun. For
1: Bendis, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, most recently we saw Warren Ellis's take on, on Moon Knight, one of the best, uh, six issue runs of last year mm. where, uh, you had Moon Knight in this snazzy suit and, uh, he was just kind of like a, you know, somewhat unstable, but got the job done kind of dark, darker stories that the other, other characters in the Marvel universe wouldn't normally tackle. Mm. So, uh, Jeff Lemire takes it takes the crazy side of of Moon Knight uh, as far as possible, we, and we get Moon Knight in a mental asylum where no one believes him or likes him. And uh, I don't know; it kind of hints at like you know, him being a bigger part of something.
0: Yeah. So the story is kind of split into two different sections, which you sort of the whole way through, you're not super sure which is which is real and which isn't. So there's the sort of dreamlike um, states, and really impressive. I, th- I actually thought that this was by two different artists, but it looks like it's Greg Smallwood
1: yeah, the, the way whole through. way
0: through, which is awesome because good. the first um part sort of reminds me very much of like a like a nineties uh, vertigo sort of style. It's Definitely. very sketchy, lots of white space, um lots of uh lots of like cross hatching and good lots of uh, shading. And perfect perfect colours for perfect that for that colors. theme by Geordie yeah, well. Yeah beautiful. And then it sort of switches into this kind of more contemporary, I would say, like, David Ayer mixed with Dave Stewart kind of style with really strong colours, which is when he's in the actual asylum, Um, which doesn't look like an especially... um, Fun asylum? No, it's not one that I would send my mentally ill loved ones to.
1: Where would you (laughs) send your mentally ill loved ones to?
0: Um, I don't know. I'd have to do some research. Find the best asylum. Um, But so this is sort of... how, how How would you explain the story? He's kind of being told that all of the Moon Knight, Moon Knight is a lie, and he just has dissociative identity disorder. But then when he wakes up in the sort of other world, he's, he's Moon Knight again, and the New York City has been taken over by some kind of ancient Egyptian... Demon, I would assume. Yeah, it's real fun. It's real fun. Don't want to give too much away, obviously, but check it out for sure. It is excellent.
1: I feel like I feel like every writer has a great interpretation of Moon Knight in them, and I look forward to reading all of them. Yeah, <laughs> can't we? <wait. laughs> um, Siobhan, did you watch Xena when you were a kid? I didn't. No, Zena Princess was on at 6pm, 6, uh, 6 I guess, on Saturday nights um, before Hercules was Ooh. on, uh, two 90s Star Wars um, about ancient people... F- Um, not wearing very practical armor, beating each other up yeah, um, with cheap budgets. Uh, And uh, apparently Xenia Xenia Warrior Princess is beloved and uh, I I certainly respect Lucy Lawless as an actor for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've never really been... Super excited to uh, to get into Xena beyond my very terrible description of it that I just gave <laughs> yeah. you.
0: Ancient people fighting with poor effects.
1: Um, but besides being a um, like kind of staple of uh, every con, you'll always have a Xena cast member there. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> uh, Dynamite have blessed us with uh, Xena's first comic ever yeah. or in, in some uh- time.
0: You know what? I wouldn't feel confident enough to say that it was her first comic ever. And I believe they did this because they're bringing the series back, aren't they? They're, oh, wow. I think that they might be relaunching. Well, look, we
1: don't want to get our facts wrong because someone will come and attack us with a plastic sword. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But I feel like I've heard that in nerd circles.
1: Um, so this is written by Genevieve Valentine with uh, art by Ariel Metal. Um, having not been that familiar with Xena, certainly not since I was a kid anyway, mm. um, this is a terrible comic to read. Um, if uh, you are in the same boat as we are, mm. because it is extremely hard to follow. Um, I feel like it references a stack of stuff that happened in the show and especially the kind of uh, character traits you've just kind of... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't understand this at all.
1: <laughs> Obviously
0: not the audience. And if you love Xena, probably you'll get a lot more out of this. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for an entry into the Xena universe, this is not this is not it.
1: Um, I, I'm actually like, you know, I, I feel like we... Get way too many origin stories in superhero comics, but mm. uh, I kind of I'm interested in reading like a Xena <laughs> origin story, <laughs> even if it is like a four page wrap up at the beginning of this. I feel like we're really benefited from. Obviously, I mean, do they want? Maybe they don't want new readers, new, yeah. new fans of Zena reading this. Who probably knows?
0: not. They probably just want to give something to the to the regular fans. I did really like. Um, I didn't think that the art was like that strong the whole way through, but I really like the way she drew. Um, Xena specifically I think that like She gets a good likeness Of Lucy Laws Without it being so Precise that it's weird yeah. If
1: you're going to get One thing right In a Xena comic It may as well be Xena Yeah absolutely um, If you listening right now uh, Are a Xena fan And loved this Or hated it look, We're keen to know If, if, if Xena fans Thought this was a great comic mm, um, Absolutely So please hit us up Serious Issues At com Or at our Facebook page com Slash Serious Issues Podcast let us know If it was true To the, Z- the Xenaverse <laughs>
0: Is this the Xena you know?
1: <laughs> uh, let's move on to a, a, an original title. This one came out through Image, uh, written by Brian Wood, uh, making his return to the world of Vikings. Uh, art by Gary Brown. Um, this one's called Black Road. It's a Magnus the Black mystery, which made me think. Hold on, is this a character that was in Viking in um what was it Northlanders, Northlanders on yeah. Vertigo? But it wasn't. Just a new character that is invented. This is like a a murder mystery comic set in Viking times.
0: Mm, it was really good fun.
1: Yeah. I enjoyed this a
0: lot. It was sort of all about um, what used to be a beautiful Norse town that has been overrun by those pesky Christians who are um, converting everyone by force. Um, And Magnus the Black.
1: And it's cool to read a um, a story set during this era where, as far as I can see, there's not really a supernatural element to it. Yeah. Um, It's just a lot of, you know... Is this the Crusades? No. No. I'm, my history is terrible, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know about, about as much about the Crusades as I do about Xena. Actually, no, I definitely know more about <laughs> Xena. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, this is definitely a, a, a cool comic. Um, and, you know, they don't really give you too much in the first issue. Mm. Um, I feel like, you know, we'll know whether this is a fantastic comic by maybe five or six, as yeah. most Brian Wood stories go. But he's definitely a, a, a writer that's earned that that amount of time between, between issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's at least earned a first three issues <laughs>
1: Black Road um, C-3PO a, uh, a great character one of the o- only characters that has been in every single Star Wars movie but very few of the Star Wars comics so far and um, we were teased that when, when, uh, when the, even when the, the previews for um, The Force Awakens came out that we would find out why he had a red arm in a comic. Coming That's out. what I wanted to know. Straight away. I didn't care about anything else. Why did C-3PO <laughs> even have a red arm? And actually when it was in the movie, it's played off like the the strangest like 10, not even, it gets like three seconds of airtime yeah. of like him, him going, you probably didn't recognize me because of my red arm. And he doesn't really seem to have anything, to, any story to tell about it, any emotional attachment to it whatsoever, which is strange because the story explaining why he got the red arm which came out last week um, is a very emotional story far oh, more so than I thought we were signing up for when I was reading a comic about a goofy nerd robot um, who I love. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't love c through So this is written by James Robinson and Tony Harris, who are best known for one of my favorite DC runs of all time on um, Starman. Mm. Um, I've actually been reading a lot of Tony Harris um, art in comics uh, lately. I've been reading um, Brian K. Vaughan's ex-Machina run and, um, so he's very famous um, for in those runs for doing um, a lot of photo referencing in his art, so much so that he he'll actually in, in, the, in the trades, he actually has comparing the photos that he took of his friends posing in these, in these poses and then the, it becoming the art in Ex Machina. That's um, pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so I was very surprised to see him not do this at all. This is extremely oh, like. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you've read any of the Star Wars comics that have come out of Marvel in the last couple of years, you would have noticed that they're extremely photo referential. Mm. Um, you know, trying to get as close to the likenesses um, that we've seen in the movies as possible. But this is like uh, there's a massive. Uh, you know, it's, it's 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 like like a cosmic comic. It's, yeah. it's really really fun. And I really um,
0: like that. It's very distinctly um, Tony Harris as well. Like it, that's so. Yeah. All the sort of really. Um, Really dark inks and kind of Art Decoy Art Nouveau kind of style that he does so well. It was yeah, really, really cool.
1: And that you don't really see many glimpses of, of characters and that you know and love uh, beyond C three PO until like the very end of the book. Um, so yeah. can
0: you can you reveal why his arm is red?
1: All right, spoiler alert. If spoiler you, alert, if guys. you uh, I, I, first of all, I just want to say this comic is really great. It started off and. Uh, it's you know obviously C-3PO. The joke is that he doesn't shut the fuck up, mm. and he certainly does not in this comic. Um, it's it's a it's a very dialogue heavy comic for a comic about a bunch of robots whose um, ship crashes. Um, they're trying to rescue a, a, um, an Admiral Akbar Akbar taken hostage, which I hope we get to see in, in a story um, mm. later on in the Star Wars comics. Um, but so C-3PO and a, a collection of droids, one of whom is a prisoner droid from the First Order. Uh, make their way from the ship to a rendezvous point where they can send a beacon to be rescued. Um, and along the way, they all get attacked and destroyed uh, by by various creatures on this crazy planet. Um, there's some really great scenes of carnage and lasers and big old bugs. So um, they slowly get picked off one by one. Um, and uh, C-3PO and this First Order robot are having this Keep having these conversations where this the, the first order droid is basically saying, you know, like, what I, I've just been programmed to be evil. I'm not necessarily evil. You know, our memories are wiped. At some point, we could have served on the same side, and we would never have known that. And C3PO kind of brushes that off at first, and it kind of he keeps bringing it back and having these. He's obviously have, like having like a crisis within himself, and uh, the first order droid ends up saving. C-3PO by holding onto him when a uh, big octopus creature grabs his arm with his tentacle and rips C-3PO's arm off. But thanks to the First Order droid, he saves C-3PO. But that won't be the only time um, C-3PO gets saved by this droid. They finally get to uh, where they're going to send the beacon off from and it starts raining. But it ain't water. It's acid rain. Oh, no. And uh, this once uh, black-painted First Order droid, his uh, paint starts to wear off in the, in the acid. And it turns out he has a red base. What? Um, and then uh, he ends up sacrificing himself uh, by sending the beacon in the middle of the acid rain while C-3PO waits undercover and all that is left for him from him is an, is an arm. So when uh, C-3PO then re-meets with, um, with Poe Dameron and, uh, and B- BB-8, uh, he gets the red arm attached to himself as a way of remembering his uh, First Order friend. Oh, well, yeah, it's quite nice. It's quite nice. It definitely is not reflected if you ne- then read this and then rewatch <laughs> The Force Awakens because Cthulhu pretty much says, "I can't wait to get this fucking arm ripped off and my original <laughs> one put on." Um, so I don't know. I mean, that said, if you you know, I think the the, the key to in- enjoying multiple Star Wars stories is just you know, not, just go with it, guys. Just go with it. Don't doesn't, not everything has to be completely canon. Yeah. Uh, it's a really, really sweet story. Oh, you will lose your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried when I saw James Robinson attached to it because, while um, the comic that he wrote last year called Airboy was my easily my favourite comic of last year, his uh, his superhero comics in the last like five years or so have not been great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I uh, I I went in this a bit wary, but he uh, I shouldn't have had any wariness about me. This is a very, very great. Really. So this fun. is
0: just a one shot though.
1: Yeah, one shot, one and done. Cool. C-3PO comics unfortunately will not return maybe unless this one goes gangbusters and we get a C-3PO series mm. just, and everyone is just him and, and, and the murder of May droids yeah
0: sad robot stories I'd read that
1: <laughs> um, let's move over to the first comic that we've ever reviewed from the Aftershock imprint yeah I don't a, even know what that is it's a pretty new imprint um, started by a uh, Some people that used to, I think, work at DC. I'm probably going to get that very wrong. Oh, well. Um, This one was written by Ray Fawkes and Marco Fahler on art. Uh, It's called Jackpot. Uh, I will give you the pitch. Hey, did you like Ocean's Eleven? Yeah, I loved it. Um, Do you want to see it but with a bit more sexiness and the girls kick butt? And there's a big old twist at the end of the issue
0: uh i guess yeah <laughs>
1: it's certainly not something that i thought i wanted but it it, it breathe it's a breeze to read um yeah it's not you've seen this shit before they double cross a, a big old bad guy and but then in in doing so they get double crossed themselves there's a shadowy uh fig, bunch of figures behind it all um and uh yeah I mean, i'm looking forward to seeing where this goes
0: yeah so far it's a very like paint by numbers heist, smooth like heist story um but i'll 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 I yeah. tentatively I f- give the next issue a go. It I didn't like, sort of grab me.
1: I feel like of all the tropes that you see so often, heist movies are that's the quickest true. to reel you in. You're yeah, like, that's oh, true. Are I they going to get away like, with this?
0: 60% more heist movies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I'm going to breeze through a few ones here that I read that you did not, Siobhan. Nice. Because uh, you're lazy. Yes, I am. Um, first up is uh, a Dark Horse comic called House of Penance, written by Peter J. Tomasi with Ian Bertram and Dave Stewart on Art and Colors. Uh, this is a really beautifully drawn comic. Um, it's classic Dark Horse. Um, you know, there's a, there's a Lovecraftian kind of vibe to the art. It's very dark, um, and uh, there's a whole lot of murder going on, but it doesn't really glorify that. It's, it's you know it's it's understated. The, the story is understated, but the what's happening in it is not. Mm. If that makes sense, um, you don't get a cliffhanger at the end of the book. It just kind of plods along at, at its own pace, and you know it's it's one of these comics where really it would be probably better read as a trade, but um, reading it issue to issue ain't bad neither. Mm. Um, it's a uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a it's hard to describe this this plot. Um, it's about uh, a widow um, of a of a huge empire um, building her enormous mansion um while her while the family of her now dead husband um begs her to stop embarrassing the family name by spending all their money um and then you also get an, an assassin who horribly this, this is set in the early 1900s i think um or a- late 1800s one of those um, either, whatever, it's not set now. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's
0: set it sets between the Crusades and now sometime between them. <laughs> Xena and now.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's, there's a, there's a, um, I guess like a, a, mercenary, um, who horrifically murders, um, some native Americans. Um, and then there's a, I guess like a little bit of a supernatural element to it as well. Some visions, uh, it's a very, very dark and brooding comic and certainly not something that I would have uh, expected from Peter Tomasi, given mm. all of his DC stuff. Uh, definitely read it if you like a really classic feel, feeling Dark Horse story.
0: And the art is really gorgeous looking. just yeah. From from my side of the bench, looks lovely.
1: Real good. Uh, so that is House of Penance number one. I also read an Oni Press book this week, Heartthrob. Um, which is by Christopher Sabella, Robert Wilson IV, and Nick Follardi. This is well,
0: Christopher, about. Uh, Christopher Sabella is Australian, isn't he? Is he really? I don't believe he is.
1: Um, I really, really loved the first two thirds of this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's about. It's set in the 70s. A, um, uh, a woman has to have a heart transplant, so she goes to a terrible job. That's right, you go to a job, right? (laughs) She worked at a terrible job uh, for years, saving up for this uh, transplant uh, surgery. And then uh, after it happened, she finds herself uh, bored with the life that she was living before the surgery. And uh, she has these new traits that she did not have before the surgery.
0: I wonder where they came from.
1: And it turns out the uh, owner of the heart that is now inside her body was a thief. Um, and she can talk to him. In fact, she can relate to him better than anyone else in her world. Um, and then it kind of gets like, she kind of goes from this, like, you know, somewhat confused, but quite powerful, um, girl who, you know, just really wants to want, like she takes what she wants as best mm. she can for someone that, that has been told that she doesn't have a long to live. Mm. In fact, you know, it opens with, uh, once the surgeries happen that she's bought herself five years at most. um, but in the last few pages, you see her kind of give herself up to this thief that once owned the heart in her chest. Right. Um, and, you know, she kind of does it for love and lust. And it's, I don't know, it, I, I, I wasn't, I thought, it, you know, you could have built the character up a bit stronger than that before she kind of gives herself into a guy attached to something inside of her. It's very yeah, weird. Yeah,
0: it sounds like um, that Jessica Alba movie where she had an eye transplant and could see dead people or something. Oh, wow. Mixed with uh, ghost. That sounds like a Ghost, that's Demi Moore movie. There's a
1: really great John Mullaney, the comedian, does a really great bit about that, about people who get um, Jerry Orbach, who created Law and Order's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommended. Um, unlike the latest from Garth Ennis, which came out this week on Dynamite, uh, with Mark De- Dos Santos on art, it's called A Train Called Love. Um, Siobhan and I joke a lot about... Um, about garth ennis Um, yeah
0: i've i i have an appreciation of classic garth ennis but i haven't picked up a garth ennis comic in the last like five years
1: well i found that the only garth ennis comics that i really like even i would say maybe even in the last decade Mm. have been war comics he's exceptionally good at war comics obviously have to be in the mood for it
0: he does love war
1: um but and he i feel like he seems to uh you know every single one of his runs of comics be it preacher to hitman to the punisher mm. they always have a war background mm, um, absolutely. and and he'll do like quite a few issues where which is just straight up war comics so you know he loves I mean, the boys as well massive war comic kind of yeah. background um i love the emotional beats that Garth Ennis can get out of his characters and that's why i keep reading his books um but i really hate his humor yeah. um sometimes it can be really great But I mean, it's telling that easily the best thing Garth Ennis has ever done is Punisher Max or even Fury Max the Nick Fury books that came out a few years ago, which were excellent. But the Punisher Rat Max run is one of the best runs of comics I've ever read. And there might be one joke in all of the the 60-ish issues of it.
0: Yeah, he's like super convinced that he's funny when he's just not.
1: It's just crass for the sake of being crass. I mean, he he did a pretty okay comic last year about a bunch of dogs. uh,
0: Yep. Matt, uh, Matt from Kings, is a big Garth Ennis fan, is always telling me that I need to read Rover Red Charlie. Rover Red Charlie, that was a name. Apparently it's not just about dogs licking each other's asses. No, it's, it's, also it's got, worse than that. It's also got romance in it or something.
1: No, it's a, no, it's a, it's a really sweet story about dogs at the end of the world. After, okay. the, after the apocalypse, there are no more humans, except one dog who kind of plays the big bad in this uh, is like a big old nasty bulldog who keeps a human um, and makes the human lick its butthole. Yeah. And Lovely. like, it's just like see,
0: like that's 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 Garth Ennis's level these days. It's just shit, which fine,
1: but it, it was it was a good story until that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a train called Love is, I guess, like his attempt at like a semi-romantic comedy, but with a side of like um spies and gangland killings. Uh, it's <laughs> it's really the artwork is very simplified. Like it looks you know, very cartoony. It's a very cartoony thing, but it's strange. I kind of, uh, it, it finished and I was like, you know what? I don't care what happens next. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing um,
0: that's a no, you won't be picking up issue two.
1: Just like really, really bad dialogue. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I, 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 I'll still read the first issue of every Garth Ennis comics that, come, that comes out. Yeah. I mean, he, he's writing some great war stuff, um, at the mm-hmm. moment, um, for, 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 for dynamite and for another independent publisher. Um, but, yeah, A Train Called Love will not get a second issue read from me. Um, finally, the last number one. This has been a, a big week for number ones. Yeah, holy moly. Um, Hot Damn by um, Ferrier and Ramon. Um, Ryan Ferrier and Valentin Ramon. Uh, these guys did a comic a while ago called Dave. D4VE. Uh, did you read that one?
0: I read a couple of issues and meant to finish it and just didn't, but really enjoyed the couple of issues that I read like, about you know, sassy it's robots. Very
1: goofy robot yeah. comedy. Yeah. Um, uh, but man, I was—I uh, was not super into this. This is about like uh, what this is about. It's set in hell, and um, you have a kind of a recently dead no hoper uh, who's in hell, and he has like a sponsor, and like because hell isn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Like it's still pretty shit, but <laughs> but you know if you kind of just get used to it and live your life, you can you can you can enjoy your existence there, and. It's just like, you know, it kind of... I don't, did you ever watch that? Oh, I really shouldn't have brought this up because I did not remember the name of it. There was a cartoon a few years ago about, like, uh, an, an America but overrun by demons. It was called, like, Something America or American something, whatever. No, it was, it was, it was, it was pointless all. me even bringing it up. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it reads like a real jokey cartoon sitcom. Um, it's, like, just, I don't
2: and airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: no, the jokes come too too fast it kind of reads like mm. a deadpool comic basically okay. uh if that's your kind of thing uh you might love this um i uh i, I no i didn't i did not hate it but uh, i wasn't super excited to find out what happens next
0: Hmm. Fair enough. So we've got a couple to add to the list, really. I think I'm definitely going to check out the next issues of Goldie Vance, uh, Gwenpool, Moon Knight, and Black Road. You're
1: not going to give. You're not going to read Jackpot issue two.
0: You know what? I'll give it another go. Okay, I'll give, I'll give I'll, it. I'll give it another
1: go. I'll give Jackpot it another go, and I might even give um, Hot Damn Two number another go. Unfortunately, no to Xena Yes to uh, Gwenpool, Moon Knight. Goldie Vance and definite yes to the House of Penance um, which as I was describing what happened to it I realised how much more I loved it so uh, yeah I, I, w- I would put that yeah That Moon Knight and Goldie Vance were my three favourite number ones this month hmm First things first is over.
2: Finally. That was a lot
1: of number ones. Um, there are still a lot of number ones next week, but nowhere near as much as there were this week. So oh look forward to less number ones next week. <laughs> and more number twos. Um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, the rest of the comics we read this month. I want to start with uh, something from the Valiant imprint, which is something that we have not spoken about on Serious Issues thus far. Um, the Adventures of Archer and Armstrong. I've mm-hmm. not read... When, when Valiant made the big hoo-ha about relaunching... Um, after being a very, very successful '90s comics empire that went bust in the late '90s and uh, was revived by two hardcore fans um, and a lot of a lot of kickstarting um, mm. a few years ago, I read uh, I read two of the, the the launch comics and they were great, but they didn't pique my interest beyond like the fifth or so issue. Yeah. Um, so when Archer and Armstrong was la- re- uh, launched, um, I remember everyone being quite excited about it, and I was mm. like, I'm reading enough comics month to month. <laughs> Uh, and now, because I'll have to punish myself with new comics every single week, uh, I thought I would check the relaunch of, uh, of of a new series of the Adventures of Archer and Armstrong. This one's by Raphael Roberts and David Lafuente. Um, it's I don't know. I, I kind of saw it. Even the name of it, Archer and Armstrong, sounds like a like a comic, a, a video game to comic book series. So I wasn't super excited about it, um, but. This is like, it's, it's, a, it's a really funny book with like a mystical element to it. And uh, basically, uh, Archer is like a, a teenage uh, dude with a crossbow um, who's great with a bow and arrow, but he's, you know, quite impressionable and um, trying to make his way in this world. But he t- teams up with Armstrong, who was a 6,000-year-old like demon, like a hedonist drunk, uh, and they have adventures.
0: Yeah, amazing. There are some real gems in the um, relaunched Valiant universe. Um, I really like the Dr. Mirage series. That's really good fun. And also, um, I read all of the Quantum and Woody relaunch. Um, that's what I was thinking of. I got confused between Archer and Armstrong and Quantum and Woody. But that was also a really, really good, fun superhero slapstick comedy. Right. Um, so, fully, fully recommend checking that out and trade.
1: Yeah, w- when they launched, I remember reading um, Harbinger. I think. Yeah. Which is like really dark. Yeah, kind of comic, and, and then the other one I read, which started with like a V was, I can't remember what it was called, but um, that was really, really dark and high concept as well. And I just remember like, I, I was like, oh, these are good, but they're not for me. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, these are great comics. Archie yeah. And Armstrong. Yeah. Um, so I read issue two of it. Um, Armstrong has this, um, like a Mary Poppins bag that he can put anything that he wants in it. Um, and so he, they've gone inside his bag to find a old bottle of whiskey that reminds him of an old friend. Um, except while they're down there, they get taken over by a demon that Armstrong like locked in his bag years ago, so and uh, fun. so they're stuck in his bag, and there are all these demons and all this crazy shit going on. Um, yeah, it's super fun. If you just like fun adventure comics, I'm pretty sure both issues one and two are very easy to find in King's Comics and mm-hmm. probably everywhere. But so uh, yeah, by all means, uh, if you if you've been thinking about dabbling in the Valiant universe, as I certainly have, um, this is a great place to start. It doesn't. Mm. I, th- I thought it was part of a big shared universe and I think in some way it is, but...
0: Yeah, I think that they're sort of relatively shared, and there were a couple of titles that I tried to pick up and then got a little bit confused about, because I don't know that much about, like... Who's the guy with the red spot on his forehead?
1: Is that Harbinger? No, 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 that's the one I... No, that's, um... Uh, Black uh, something? No, maybe it is. It is... Uh, is it Ray? No, bloodshot. bloodshot. Bloodshot.
0: There we go. Bloodshot. I got very I confused said by that. Ninjak.
1: Exo Manowar was the other one that I. Yeah, when yeah. Started.
0: So they're very nineties names. <laughs> yeah. super Blood Ninjak What was it? Bloodshot. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Bloodspot. That's a good name for a <laughs> yeah, character. That's um, but yeah, the Valiant comics are definitely worth checking out.
1: Um, I told Siobhan to pick up issue two and issue one of uh, Mockingbird mm. through Marvel. This the rest of the comics we're talking about for the rest of the show are Marvel. So if you don't like Marvel. Uh, Leave now. Thank thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) Um, So, I want to do an in the future a a spotlight on all of the female superhero comics that Marvel are putting out at at the moment. Yeah, and how almost universally great they are. Yeah, and how many? How like I feel like no one's making that big of a deal about it. Yeah, because people certainly make a big deal as they should when, say, DC launches with only like you know three books about female superheroes and like you know three female creators on them. Mm. I mean, it, look, it's a bit more than that, but like, I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I want to do a count, but Marvel have like 20 female superhero books at the moment and almost all of the, the creative teams on them are female too.
0: Yeah, and there's some really, really great comics th- about characters that you wouldn't normally care about, like Silk or Spider-Gwen that are or, being... Or ridden- Mockingbird. Or Mockingbird, yeah. Yeah. for that matter. I know absolutely nothing about Mockingbird.
1: Um, so Mockingbird I know uh, from... Um, uh, Brian Bendis's Avengers run, uh, where she was uh, tied to Hawkeye for some time, and um, yeah, she was just like a, she was a pretty good character in in that. Well, anyway, well, like, I've always
0: f- just seen her as like the Marvel version of Black Canary because she was dating the Marvel version of Green Arrow.
1: Sure, I almost said she's the Marvel version of Black Widow. I'm like, wait a minute, that's a Marvel <laughs> <buddy> too. <laughs> um, so yeah, this was written by Chelsea Kane and um, Kate Nymchick. Um, I'm, I'm butchered your name, Kate. Sorry. Uh, I've seen a lot of um, of Mockingbird um, at, in Agents of Shield, the TV show, which I um, I've, I have managed to start enjoying like really easily. It yeah. was it was a slog to get through that first season, but now it's like I don't know. I turn my brain off and I just <laughs> let it in. It's good fun. It's a really really fun stupid TV show, um, and I'm sure people listening film me on that one. Mm. Um, I hope, anyway. <laughs> um, but so yeah, Mockingbird um, has been given a little bit of a uh, uh, a redraw, so she looks more like uh, the actress that plays her on Agents of Shield. Um, this comic issue one is one of the coolest issue ones I've read in a while. It um kind of it it drops in. An, it's 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 it it's basically like uh, Mockingbird having to go in for checkups with the shield medical facility um and she does so like at four random times um throughout i don't know a, a period of time i guess mm-hmm. and um now every issue after that is going to fill in the gaps in between those visits so this one we get like a like a fun espionage kind of story um with a, a like a little bit of a snm vibe yep because they're at the hellfire club um and uh I just want to know I mean, this. This issue two wasn't as strong as issue one, but issue one was like a really great new concept for 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 a superhero story that I really appreciated. Again, uh, quite similar to the, the fix by Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber, there were lots mm-hmm. of great visual gags within it. Absolutely, um, certainly not distracting from the story, but but enhancing it. And um, there was a little bit less of that this month. This month, but it was just a, you know, it's a really fun, really good fun. really, good fun.
0: really um, silly spy adventure. Great art. I really, really like the sort of punchy colours and strong lines. Um, Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this for a character that I know nothing about. Yeah,
1: and the Queen is in it. As in, like, the Queen of England. As in the Queen Queen of England. She's in there.
0: And there's a dude chained up.
1: Yep. Which is lovely. Um, He is uh, her on again, off again boyfriend in the Marvel Universe. Uh, Um, Was it named, like, Lance Hunter or something? Something like that. Um, So, uh, um, there is a great moment in the uh, letters pages of this comic as well where um, some dingbat dude uh writes in and says because uh she was saying like oh and don't like the writer of this um chelsea kane was saying like in the in the future read uh, issues you're going to see a lot of shirtless hawkeye and shirtless lance and all that kind of thing and so some douchebag wrote back and said um i read the letters page chelsea and i hate to call you out on the promises you made for the book but i but i do dare ask if you promise a shirtless clint would it be rude to ask for a shirtless bobby Hmm. good for you mate (laughs) Um, So, she writes this unbelievable response um, saying, like, you know, here's my approach to Bobby. This is her story. Is she a reliable narrator? Not a chance. I'm not either. She remembers herself in the best light possible. Me too. And she gets a few details wrong. For instance, in Hunter's version of uh, issue two, he's wearing a tuxedo and Bobby is topless in a latex thong. Is he right? Is she... Probably in real life, they are both wearing pleated khakis, golf shirts, and sensible hiking boots. The point is, this is not Hunter's version. We've read that version, okay, not Hunter's per se, but the guy's version, a hundred times. Bobby has the, have, has only ever appeared in the guy's version. She's been drugged and abducted by a creepy cowboy, dated Kazar the original man without a shirt, had the dubious distinction of being associated with the Great Lakes Avengers, and has been duped, tricked, and bamboozled more times than the citizens of Flint, Michigan. Ew. Have you seen the costume they made her way in the 80s? All of which, I would argue, are the narrative... Equivalence of taking her shirt off. It's a power metaphor, my friend. Is my feminist agenda showing yet? Can you see it under my skirt? Will we see <laughs> ever see Bobby topless? Maybe. Those scenes with Clint will be on my not safe for work fanfic site. <laughs> but we will never ever see Bobby take off her shirt. By which I mean she will never serve someone else's story just for the sake of it. She will never suffer an absolute lack of agency, only as a means to move forward some other character's narrative. She gets to be the one who wins. That's really awesome. It's like, to read that in a mainstream superhero comic is just, like, exactly what a mainstream superhero comic Yeah, absolutely. And should it's do. what
0: I think that, like, female comic book fans have wanted for so long. Like, I'm not... I'm clearly not opposed to, like, cheesecakey stuff. Love Amanda Connor, love Frank Cho, love Adam Hughes. But it, it's nice for it every now and again for it to be less focused about the male gaze and to feel like the female characters have a little bit of agency in these things. So I'm very, very down with Chelsea Kane, who I don't know. Has she ever written comics before?
1: Um, We can look that up with the power of the internet. Woo! I've got comics covering my keyboard, though, so I can't reach the (laughs) S S key. You might have to beat me to it. Oh, wow. She's actually just a a novelist. Straight up novelist.
0: And columnist. Oh, okay. So she mostly does like thrillers and romance novels, which is pretty perfect.
1: Yeah. Definitely a uh, And
0: uh, You can uh, see why she yeah. gets this character so well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, look I'm a dude, a straight dude at that and I um Congrats. I, <laughs> Thanks so much. It's so nice to be congratulated. <laughs> I never get to be. Um I have no problem with seeing like shirtless yeah. leathered up dudes in a comic book cuz yeah. I mean you pretty much get that anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, another big Marvel book this week was the third issue of Silver Surfer. This is the 50th anniversary issue written by Dan Slott and uh, drawn and coloured by Mike and Laura Alred. Um, I started reading their run and uh, it's great and really, really fun and colourful. And like, it's one of the, I mean, I, I love everything Mike Alred does. Yeah. Um, it's hard to criticise the man. Uh, no, some of those issues of Mad Men are pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... Uh, I look. I, 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 I guess the stakes weren't high enough to keep me that invested in wanting to buy this comic every, every yeah. week. It was very, very, you know, sweet and, and lovely. But I felt, after the first few stories, I felt like, you know, it was just like space plundering and then everything's resolved and yay Dawn. And, yeah. yeah,
0: it was very, um, I mean, and Dan Slott, I think, was very sort of open about the fact that he wanted to do like a Doctor Who story in yeah. the Marvel Universe. And it reads exactly like Doctor Who. So if you love Doctor Who, I highly recommend checking out his... Um, slot Silver Surfer run, especially because the art's so beautiful. But it just didn't appeal to me for some reason. You know, I didn't really, I don't really love the character of Dawn Greenwood. I don't, I don't understand why the Silver Surfer just drops everything to help her out in, yeah, you know, and bring her along with him on all of his adventures. I, and I, it was just, it was a little bit, it was a little bit too whimsical for me, sure. perhaps.
1: But yeah, I, I guess they wanted to make, like you know, make it less kind of like big. Let like le- sort of grounded a little bit. Yeah, grounded a little mm. bit. Um, yeah, I don't know, this, is, this is still a pretty fun issue um, she, uh, Silver Surfer and Dawn are facing off against um, one of Silver Surfer's first loves um, Who comes back to uh, restore everything to the way it was on Silver Surfer's home planet Which means getting rid of all of Earth's culture And um, Silver Surfer fights and pretty much sacrifices himself to, uh, to, to save Earth's culture It's music, it's art um and everything else in between. Not uh, worth it. <laughs> um there's a really beautiful um spread of uh Mike Alred uh drawing all of uh well not, it wasn't even the event, it's just like a bunch of random selection of Marvel characters as they exist in this universe. So if you ever wanted to see Mike Alred's t- take on um Ms. Marvel or um the Falcon as Captain America or Lady Thor, um
0: Most excitingly though, is the big lockjaw right yeah. up the front, the inhumans um teleporting, teleporting dog. dog
1: but we got a bit of him in the uh, ff run that michael oh, yeah, did um, i've seen that before man <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah i mean it's a really fun spread i mean it's a beautiful looking comic and um it ends with spoiler alert um you know this is going to be like you know undone within seconds of the, of the next comic Spo- uh, silver surfer may be dead at the end of this issue what yeah who knows to be continued question mark is how this comic <laughs> book ends as all comic books should <laughs> Uh, all right, more Marvel books. We've got a few to get through. Yeah. Um, Weird World, issue number five. This has been a, uh, a comic by Sam Humphries and Mike Del Mondo. It carried on from a really great uh, miniseries that Mike Del Mundo drew during Secret Wars, uh, written by Jason Aaron, probably my favourite of the uh, Secret Wars tie-in stories. Um, it's a one of the best-looking comics coming out month to month, but now it has a very different focus. It is about... Uh, so Weird World is this, like... Uh, crazy feral world within the Marvel universe. Um, it's like pretty much like the Bermuda triangle or something like that. It's impossible to escape. Um, and, uh, it's full of man things and all of the, uh, I guess, I don't know, like, not the mystical, but a lot of forgotten Marvel, mm. f- Marvel characters There's the crystal warriors and, uh, Malta. Uh, definitely very
0: the- like weird Jack Kirby ish.
1: Um, and Morgan Le Fay is the, uh, is the big bad in it. Uh, but the uh, heart of this book is a a young girl from from the regular Marvel universe whose plane crashes as she is traveling to Mexico to spread her mother's ashes after her mother commits suicide, um, and uh, yeah, she, it's been a dream to to. to sp- to scatter her mum's ashes in Mexico, so she is holding on to this jar of her mother's ashes, and on a quest with a wizard who is stuck in the body of a cat and a wizard slayer called like Gorletta or something like that. Look, it's 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 a real great, fun, high concept fantasy story, but with that kind of really devastating um, mm. heart at the at the middle of it. Uh, I really like it. It's a it's a very different Marvel comic. It almost reads like their kind of take on Saga. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it looks great. And yeah,
0: Mike Del Mundo's art is definitely the biggest draw for me. I think that it's really, really beautiful and very different for superhero comics.
1: And again, to bring it back to uh, female superheroes in the Marvel Universe, uh, like four out of five of the main cast of this book are all girls, which is cool. Yeah, so nice. Like the uh, the like the, the the bad guys, the good guys, everyone, girls mm. who run the world. <laughs> Uh finally we're gonna talk about standoff, which is the uh big event happening for the Avengers at Marvel at the moment. Uh it involves a prison that shield have opened using a uh, a part of the crystal cube. What's it called again? Kobic. Is it called the Crystal Cube? It's definitely oh. called the Crystal Cube. Uh
0: yeah, that's definitely not called the Crystal Cube. <laughs> what the hell is it called?
1: Uh, cube, you know the <laughs> cosmic cube. Cosmic, cosmic cube. cube, you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> the cosmic cube. that used the cosmic cube to create a girl who kind of uses. Well, I know the cosmic cube is chosen to be a girl, a young girl. Yeah, it's a
0: sliver of the cosmic cube that is chosen yeah. to represent itself in even the, the cos- form of a young girl. For even the cosmic,
1: reason. even the cosmic cube support female superheroes. Yep,
0: it's the year of women at <laughs> Marvel.
1: Um, and uh, so all of the. All of the imprisoned Marvel bad guys have been turned into upstanding citizens in this very picturesque, like, 60s vibe community, mm. um, and the Avengers find out about that and go to infiltrate it to try and stop S.H.I.E.L.D. from doing what they see is wrong, but in doing so, they get turned into citizens of this fictional town called Pleasant Hill as well.
0: While, at the same time, the bad guys are figuring it out and returning to their original identities and plotting against S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers.
1: So the three issues that tied into this event this week were All New, All Different Avengers number eight, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. number four, and Illuminati number six. Um, let's start with All New, All Different Avengers. Uh, this kind of pushed the story forward the most. Um, written by Mark Wade, art by Adam Kubert. Q- I hate Adam Kubert's art on this so much.
0: Same.
1: <laughs> um, but um and the story wasn't fantastic either um we do get a nice glimpse of Deadpool at the end i like it when when someone kind of does something different for Deadpool besides just being a, a goofy dickhead like but
0: i am also tired of um i feel like it's now almost been overdone that like at the sort of moment like the most important moment Deadpool suddenly goes hey guys you know what i can be serious too and sure. goes in and saves the day which is like fine and everything but um i just feel like it's it's been a little bit done.
1: Well, so basically, Deadpool helps the uh, Cosmic Cube Girl uh, figure out her mind and fix everything. Um, but it kind of he kind of channels his his depiction in Rick Remender's Uncanny X Force run. Mm. His great relationship that he had with Kid Apocalypse. So uh, I kind of I just liked that. Really. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it was nice. Um, That's just me being a cranky. Comic book person. <laughs> it,
1: I can't think of like Marvel is definitely capable of doing a good event now, but they're rarely capable. I mean, no one's capable of doing a, an event that is told through tie ins. So obviously, mm. you know, you, you get bookended by two event comics, and then there's like a, like, you know, maybe four to five different issues kind of telling the progression of the story in between those uh, bookends. Um, I've never read an event that was good from start to finish that told it like that. Yeah,
0: me neither, actually. It's really, I mean, I guess it's really hard to sort of maintain consistency, like, just even the the designs of the characters in this book were so, so different yeah. and made it quite um, jarring to Definitely. read, but I thought.
1: But the first issue of All New All Different Avengers that tied into this I actually quite liked to the point mm. where I was like, oh, I think I'm going to just keep reading All New All Different Avengers now. Yeah. Um, but this one, I was like, maybe I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I certainly will not be reading any other issues of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't understand that at all. So
1: this basically is like almost a shot for shot retelling of New Avengers, the last issue of that.
0: Yeah, just the fight from the other angle, which it's, I get it that you have to do that for the, like, for that the reading, Agent yeah. of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, but it was. A
1: but it was like half the comic thing. is just recapping. Yeah, it was yeah. Awful. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, this. I. I, I this, this should be a comic that appeals to me because I watched the TV show. Yeah, um, It didn't at all.
0: I know. I just, like, I don't care about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I am, I don't like the sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe sort of encroaching on the, like, comic universe, you know. Keep yeah. Them, keep them just a little bit separate.
1: Well, I, the, the worst thing in the world that could happen is if they went, like one, like like how the Star yeah. Wars is coming to yeah. canon. Like I think I can think of nothing worse. That's uh, my concern. Yeah, man.
0: Um. So yeah, I didn't like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. But surprisingly, I really did like um, Illuminati number six, especially when compared to the other l- lousy ones. This one was ab- almost like I guess what you. This is more of a one shot in uh, that tied into this the the standoff story. Mm-hmm. Um, and because. I haven't been reading any of the Illuminati series, so I was like, oh, I'm really not going to like this issue. Because um, there, there was another tie-in um, issue that I read a couple weeks ago um, to another book that I've never read one issue of, The Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D., number six. Oh, yeah. And that was just like, why did I even bother reading yeah, this? It was yeah, yeah. so inconsequential. Um, so this uh, Illuminati story uh, is about the Hood and Titania. They're like kind of at the, at the heart of this story, two mm-hmm. bad guys. Titania is the one-time girlfriend of... Uh, the, the Absorbing, absorbing Man, man. Uh, And this tells the story Of them breaking him out Of Pleasant Hill Where standoff is occurring And uh, when he is reunited With his love Titania He has had a, a moment With Electra in Pleasant Hill yeah. And uh, now he can't return To the embrace of Titania Because his mind ain't right I oh, thought this is a really Sweet little story It really
0: was Who would have thought You could have such a lovely story About the Absorbing Man one of the silliest of Marvel's supervillains.
1: Yeah, but he's been around since the start. You can't just you can't just ignore him forever. <laughs>
0: I know. I just don't take him seriously. But I really, yeah, really good issue. And actually, I've been reading the Illuminati series, and it is actually pretty good fun.
1: Yeah, the Hood is one of those characters that, like, I mean, he he, he played a large part in Bendis' Avengers run and several events um, around, you know, mm. Peak Pe- Bendis doing all the Avengers stuff, which was actually a surprisingly fun time to read um, Bendis comics. Uh, I can't. I can't wait to uh, to be venomous when we get near um, Civil War two coming out. Oh yeah! I, I haven't read a Bendis comic <laughs> in so long, by choice. And uh, yeah, oh boy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the, the uh, and he actually he he was one of the first people to tell like an Illuminati story as well, mm, right? Yeah. Obviously, it's a very different Illuminati than the one Bendis wrote. But uh, yeah, the Hood is a, a cool a cool bad mm,
0: guy. Absolutely.
1: But uh, uh, tell me, are they? Are they like almost like the suicide squad in this where they're bad guys trying to do good or is this them just trying to further their-
0: Um. Well, see, I've been reading it in a very sort of vague way um, <laughs> where I've missed a couple of issues here and there, but I think it's more sort of they are bad guys trying to continue to do bad, but in a more sort of um, structured way. Right. So they're a team working together for various nefarious ends.
1: Cool. I might keep reading it. I kind of, yeah. I was, I was into this, and is it always um, uh, Josh Williamson and Mike Henderson on this book? Yeah, yeah, same the art artist. Is awesome.
0: Really enjoyed. Yeah, really, really enjoyed the art. Very nice.
1: Cool. Um,
0: I think the only other one that I read that you didn't was issue seven of Spider Gwen. I meant which, to read this. I said um, I would. Yeah, I know. I down
1: serious issues. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> um, which is the second issue in the Spider Women um, event. event. I guess. So when we last saw them, they were stuck in Spider-Gwen's universe with um, Jess's child and the other universe, and now they're trying to team up to get back. Um, This just continues to be really, really good fun. The art's really lovely. I don't know if this is the consistent artist on Spider-Gwen. Bengal. Bengal. That's all it says. But great job. Jason Latour is writing it. It's really, really yeah just really good fun they're just going around trying to find um the gwen stacy versions of people who can help them out so they find this reed richards who knows that he is a reed richards and has already had experience with sort of dimension hopping and is a young african-american teenager skipping school to do homework um
1: it's always fun when they are able to expand a a universe that you only see one character of yeah
0: absolutely so they do like they have a couple of funny um looks at what famous marvel characters look like in this universe so in this universe the sort of fantastic family have a tv series and they're all good together and tony stark is like an evil bad guy who like paves over children's parks to build (laughs) malls and things like that so it's yeah really really good fun really still enjoying the spider women crossover highly recommend
1: yeah, it seemed, uh, when uh, when the Spider-Gwen comic was was announced, especially coming out of Secret Wars, where they made a big deal of Miles Morales coming to this regular Marvel universe and the death of the Ultimate Universe, it seemed so ridiculous and almost redundant to then announce that Spider-Gwen could exist in her universe and travel yeah, between... Yeah. Like, why couldn't Miles Morales just do that? I don't know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: go with it, it's fun.
1: Um, we, uh, got a, uh, a listener email this week, uh, from, uh, he actually commented on, on, our, on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash serious issues podcast. Uh, Ronaldo, uh, said he's enjoying the podcast and, um, is now going to start reading the vision based on our really great review of it. Um, and, uh, um, he asked us to, uh, to review the, the moon night number one, which he did earlier in the podcast and also asked for our thoughts on all new in humans, uh, as Sydney was recently recently featured, and there are now two new Australian Inhumans. Hmm. Um, do you read all new Inhumans? I actually have been cool.
0: Um, I, I... Ronaldo, okay. I,
1: I picked up every issue so I can get up to date for you because I'm a good guy like that.
0: <laughs> but uh,
1: Siobhan's a better guy who has been reading it from the start. So how is it?
0: Yeah, it's actually really good. I, um, you know, I have feelings about the way that um, Marvel are sort of. Uh, Really pushing the Inhumans over and perhaps at the sort of behest. Yeah. Well, just at the sort of loss of the X universe. So sure. it seems like because I don't know if this is true or if this is me being, you know, massively slanderous, um, but it seems like because Marvel don't own the movie rights to the X Men, they're no longer putting um, as much sort of focus behind the X Men in the comic book universe and they're trying to make the Inhumans the sort of X Men because they are weird mutants of a kind also. Sure. Um, So the all-new Inhumans team, I believe, is the one headed by Crystal, who is sister of Medusa, former wife of Johnny Storm, um, whose powers are something. I don't really remember. (laughs) But they're basically like a diplomatic sort of mission going around trying to find new humans, as they are called, and... um, Represent the Inhumans around the world and I'm really enjoying it so far it's got sort of espionage elements it's got some really um, good fun classic superhero stuff in it some great new characters and um, yeah I think you'll actually really enjoy it
1: yeah there's uh, that, that sounded very familiar to um, the uncanny X-Men run that Brian Bendis did when he started that that comic where you had Cyclops and his team going around the world yeah. and to Australia, yeah. to, uh, to get mutants as they Actually, mutated. Very similar, right? Cool. <laughs> I kind of liked that, so uh, yeah, that may have been the last Age of Ultron and uh, and the X Men event that Brian Bendis wrote. That was the end mm. of my my time with Bendis.
0: That was it. That was when you decided no more.
1: Yeah, um, but we'll- Bendis no more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good, that's a good House of M joke. Um, but we can talk more about all new and humans once you've caught up. Yep, I'm interested to hear what you think.
1: Um, so let's close out the show with your review. We promised at the beginning. We said prostitution. That's why everyone is still listening.
0: Obviously. Um, so I read Mary wept over the feet of Jesus prostitution and religious obedience in the Bible by Chester Brown. If you're familiar with Chester Brown at all, he is probably most well known for his books, um, his autobiographical books, like paying for it, which are about his experiences of being a John. Um, so Chester Brown loves prostitutes, loves thinking about them, (laughs) loves talking about them, loves drawing them, loves, Loves loves being around them. Um, and so this book is him. It's his sort of look at prostitution as it's represented in the Bible, but he's also making a couple of sort of grand statements about what he thinks Matthew was trying to um, say. Um, so basically he just retells in his sort of quite simple cartoonist style a couple of stories of famous prostitutes from the Bible. So like Ruth, um, who else is in there? Mary Magdalene, obviously, and then the second half of the book is um, sort of an essay on uh, sort of him describing what he was trying to say in this book. And basically, what he's what Jesse Brown is trying to imply is that um, the Bible is implying that Mary mother of Jesus was a prostitute and without being able to say that explicitly Matthew then went through and peppered a whole bunch of stories about prostitutes in the Bible to try and indicate towards that who can say who can say if that's true but it's definitely an interesting book if you have an interest in religion uh, or prostitution or (laughs) the works of Chester Brown I definitely recommend checking it up it's a beautiful beautiful little hardcover drawn accordingly do some really really lovely yeah it's an um, incredible
1: package for sure Um, I don't understand how being a comic could benefit this story it sounds more like a um like a daily mail
2: article
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's true but um i think that i think it does benefit you know i think that the way he tells the stories also i mean i guess it really depends if you enjoy chester brown style but i I absolutely do. do yeah um but yeah very interesting interesting work cool check it out
1: Do we want to talk about any of the new news that was revealed from uh, the DC Rebirth catalogue that came out last week as well?
0: Ooh, do tell.
1: Um, There's nothing too crazy. Um, There's a new Suicide Squad member that we're going to find out. Um, (laughs) Cool. (laughs) uh, Nothing too interesting, to be honest. Um, Blue Beetle is going to have Dr. Fate as a supporting character in his series. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, and then, I mean, Damian Wayne and his relationship to the teen titans i don't know what do you think about that he kidnaps like the teen titans and tries to lead them i
0: like that i think that suits damien as a character i sure. like that he would be like no i need to do all of the correct robin things and i need to do it in the best way so i need to lead the teen titans how am i going to do that in the most efficient way i'm going to kidnap them kidnap them
1: oh also the, the flash is doing um spider island Oh, so everyone in in Central City gets flash powers. Oh, good. <laughs> but then there's a serial killer who only targets speedsters. So that's a thing.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay. I mean, that's kind. Of, doesn't that then become everyone? So he just targets all people oh, not in everyone. Central City. People in Central City. Oh, right. Okay. It. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Let's let's not talk about too much because I feel like it doesn't it doesn't give you too much hope for uh, for DC rebirth and we're trying to be as positive as possible. We exactly. promise
0: exactly. You've
1: been listening to Serious Issues. My name is Levins, Her name is Siobhan. You can find us online Instagram.com slash LevDog is me and uh, SiobhanCBG CBG is where you'll find Siobhan. Yep. Um, you can find us the podcast online facebook.com slash Serious Issues Podcast or send us an email to Serious at kingscomics.com we'd love to hear from you if you've got any questions to ask if you want to berate us for uh, insulting one of your favourite books especially if it's Xena yeah um, come on or if we're not reading something that you think we should be please get in touch and send us an email or if you like what you hear you can leave us a nice review on the iTunes store just look it up Serious Issues Podcast and uh, hopefully more people can tune in to us each week and uh, continue the discussion uh, and of course you can find every book that we talked about at King's Comics, which is...
0: three hundred and ten Pitt Street, or kingscomics.com.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Serious Issues. We'll be back next week. See you then. Thanks,
2: guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Planning for your next trip?